Who listening can relate to spending hours on end every day answering emails? Staying late to get your inbox down to zero, only to show up the next day to have it full again. What a time and energy suck. It's the worst. When we started Gooder, from the beginning, we wanted our culture to be different, and our relationship with email was part of that. But how do you run a company without internal email? Because it's how we all have been taught to communicate in corporate America. Enter Slack. We were so fucking lucky that Slack was gaining steam when we started Gooder. To be clear, internal email is not allowed at Gooder. Every project, product launch, and team has its own Slack thread. So if you have a question about a launch coming up, you ask it on that thread so everyone can see it. And what this has done created some radical transparency. Instead of backdoor conversations, everyone knows what's going on because it's asked on the thread out in the open. Instead of one person getting drilled or being knowledge keepers, the team gets asked questions and anyone can answer it. So there's a huge amount of autonomy and sharing of knowledge that goes on. And lastly, and this is my favorite, the time savings. According to Forbes, the average worker spends two and a half hours per day on email. And if you reduce that by just 40%, which is what I estimate we do, saves over six work weeks per year per person. Six work weeks per year per person. The bandwidth, the autonomy, and the transparency this has created has been remarkable. Let's talk about it. This is Culture Gooder with Stephen Lease and Sean Tinney. Now jam with me. All right, Stephen, so what drove the move away from email toward a messaging platform like Slack? The loathing of spending three (laughs) hours a day on email. We've all been there. And what's so amazing is I feel like there's different email people types in like corporate offices. There's the person who never replies to shit. So that's frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The person who stays until seven o'clock every night and answers every fucking email. (laughs) That kind of just disdain for that. And you got the person that has 10,000 little red dots on the email app or the person that's inbox zero no matter what. For sure. It goes back a little further to obviously Ben Carey and I, Ben was in Colorado over the first couple of years, so we needed a better way to communicate. Mm -hmm. All hated email. And then I really got in this place of my life where I was only spending an hour on email a day and was really, really strict about that. And now I only spend 15 minutes on email a day. It was, this was a stack of that, of how to keep trimming that down. Because you realize if you're constantly checking your email, you're not living life being fulfilled at your job. You're just looking for something else to do. Did that come from one of those never check email in the morning programs or something like that? Yeah, it came from something I heard David Allen actually say at a conference about email and because people obviously ask a lot of questions about that, his advice is time block it. You spend whatever you can do, you do it and you move on. I really enjoy that. Also, the inbox zero is always a thing, but you realize how if you obsess about getting your inbox down to zero, you are spending an insane amount of time on email. It's not a great goal necessarily. Yeah. Well, work expands to fill the time it's given, right? If you sit there at the end of that email shoot, it's just going to keep coming. So any realizations about email during that time where you were really just trying to cut it down? How much junk is put in your (laughs) inbox? Yeah. Where you realize clicking on these newsletters and these promos of companies you don't care about. Also getting spam and feeling that you need to reply. The realization of the amount of people or companies or brands that are 
stealing your time away from you and you're letting them. So it's your fault in full transparency about like, oh, right. I don't need to do this. Yeah. That realization. Right. So it feels like work, but it's not set by you. It's just randomly determined by other people. Yeah. And that feels like a lot of negatives. Are there any <laughs> others that stand out in your mind? On the positive side? Just for using email in general, what else about it was like, all right, we got to... Backdoor conversations, right? If you and I are emailing about something, hey, if it's involving a project, everybody needs to know about it. In email, it's just all dumped into this one inbox and you can't track it. The thread stacking on thread is actually a really awful way to catch up on an entire conversation. Right. A good or each project has on Slack thread. When you want to work on that project, you can go into that project. And so it allows you to stay present and engage in things you want to engage in and not on others. Did you try any other apps before Slack? It was definitely the one that had heard about. I had used it, just knew about it, and it was an easy move over. Do you feel like there are any drawbacks to using a team app like that? I'm sure there are. I'm just not thinking about it. Have you ever worked for a company besides Gooder that communicated on the messaging systems versus email? I guess the closest would be Basecamp. You could loop people in via email, especially the client side where they wouldn't want to be like a part of your internal system. Yeah, I would say the downside is one, you just have to really methodically set it up the right way. It's like anything else, trash in, trash out. If you're setting up an ERP system and you're not putting the right data in, then it's not going to work like it needs to. Everybody's used to email. And so the downside right now is breaking people of habits. So does email still have a place at Gooder? For sure. How many emails a week do you send at Gooder? If I do, they're just from the calendar. Yeah. So non-calendar invites, how many? Probably two a month? Yeah. At best. Right. I'm the same thing. My emails are usually friends or colleagues, other companies asking questions. But if you work on the sales team, you might be reaching out to accounts. All of our customer service goes through Zendesk. So that's different partnerships. There are some roles that, yes, email exists, but not a lot. I think would be a really interesting exercise is to look at this because I don't think 20% of our roles use it daily, externally. I don't think they have those stats, but to see the sent list from different email addresses and be like, okay, these are clearly the people who are speaking with external companies because everyone else is internal with Slack. We are big on processes and how do you make things more trimmed down. For example, for all of our retailers, we have a Facebook group that you can only be in it if you're one of our retailers. And so we push information out that way. There's a lot of different things like that that we use that stop this back and forth email that it sometimes is necessary, but a lot of times it's not. When did we make that shift? Was that immediate or pretty shortly into yeah, it was lifetime? Definitely had it up and running before we started like hiring employees. Yeah, okay. Probably within the first year, 18 months. Were there big benefits that you noticed right away or was it too small of a staff to really? Yeah, it was just too small. I think right away it was just a cool new thing. So that was a benefit. It was pretty small up front. There wasn't this giant awakening or anything. So we've talked a bit about how important transparency is at Gooder. How do you feel like Slack does at supporting bringing that value to life? There's a huge transparency and accountability element of using Slack. At Gooder, we have some company-wide threads, just basic announcements, celebration. Then we have all of our launches. Launch, the date it launches and the name of it, projects and then teams. We do a ton of launches. And so every launch has its thread. You can join it or not, depending on what your role is. 
And inside the purpose of the thread is a link to the deck that outlines that everything for that launch or project is in. Think about this, right? Any project, any launch at Gooder, anyone can go into like, oh, what's going on? Click on a deck, see what's going on. The amount of transparency is insane. And then the amount of accountability. And so instead of you pinging me like, hey, Steven, can I get that? You ask it on the thread, everybody is seeing it. So people can't hide. If you need information, you have the power to go and see. I think transparency and accountability it's provided has been quite amazing. It's also centralizing everything, like you said, in decks and threads. So there's one point of contact. We have this thing called getting decked. What it is, and I just got decked, I think, two days ago by our colleague, Nicole, but every project has a deck and somebody will ask, where's the copy for the PBR launch? It's in the PBR deck. And so you don't send them the link to the deck. You say that, and that's called getting decked. And what's awesome about that is it only takes a couple of times because as people, we so just want to ask somebody and have them put it on our plate. But since we do all this hard work, anybody can do it. And it kind of really stops a lot of the, well, I didn't know about that. Well, if you didn't know about it, that's on you. That's not on us. Exactly. I love the, you look it up on your own part rather than here's the deck. It's right here. No, it's in the deck. We've all lost decks or things before. I've done this. I'm like, hey, can somebody help me where to find this? Yeah. We're not militant about it, but if it is a thing that is standard, you should know the practice is to not coddle. What do you think are some other important elements to effective Slack communication as a team? So you can DM each other on Slack, obviously, and that's great. But the really important thing is, hey, if it's about a project or a team or a launch, you have to ask the question on that thread. I will reply to people's Slacks. Please ask this on the so-and-so thread. Because pulling people out of this, having to ask, a couple benefits to doing that. One, anybody can ask it. Everybody sees it's being asked. I'm not on the hook to do it. If I can, great. But whoever's kind of there in the moment can answer this question. And so it strips away these knowledge holders of, well, only Stephen can answer this or only this. You actually create more of a spreading of knowledge is a huge thing that we see. And I've noticed... When people ask a general question, someone is bound to jump on it pretty much immediately. There's really little delay as far as getting answers to questions. For sure. One of the reasons Slack is so quick is in an email, there's always the, hey, Sean, how's it going? This is not, it it is a X, Y, and Z. It's serving the purpose. You don't need to have this fake cordial thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right. I never even thought about that. It strips the bread off of the communication sandwich, right? Exactly. Hey, what's up? And then the, all right, talk soon. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So are there any other things we do to structure the threads to make sure everybody has what they need? For anybody who uses Slack, one of the beauties in it is the simplicity. Every thread starts the hashtag. And so at Gooder, we have hashtag launch, then the date, hashtag launch underscore zero three two one underscore name. When you look at your launch section or all the launches, everything is stacked up in order. So you know exactly what's going on. Every thread has a purpose and inside the purpose is a link to the deck of that project. We do that for launches. For launches are things going out to consumers. Then there's other projects and then teams have their own threads. Just really being methodical. Only three people at the company can set up a Slack thread for that reason. Otherwise, it would be a total pandemonium scenario. Yeah. We had it open for a while. Yeah, it, was, right. it was not a good experiment. <laughs> Pretty much a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> 
So in addition to using Slack, we also use Google Suite to collaborate on documents, spreadsheets, decks. What are some of the major benefits of a shared file system like that? Obviously, you hear us talking about decks. For those of you who don't know, decks are just presentations. That's just what they are. Think of PowerPoint, think of Keynote. It's the same thing. The collaboration element, right? So Google Slides, every project has its own deck. Anybody can go in and look at it and collaborate. And it's not just sitting on Sean's hard drive. It is out in the world. Anybody can access this stuff anywhere. Obviously, you can have your private. So the collaboration that it allows, again, the transparency that it allows. Yeah, it's fun to see, for instance, a sunglass naming deck get shared. And then there's 15 people in there trying to throw in clever names immediately in the comments, you know? It's also just easy to present something to anybody. I'll share this after the meeting. Everybody has this information. How does this kind of centralized method differ from ways that you've seen things done at other companies? It used to be Kevin in accounting has that on his computer or Marcy in HR. They have these gatekeepers protecting stuff that shouldn't be protected. One, they're just bureaucracy that it eliminates. Two, it promotes a culture of sharing and transparency and knowledge dissemination. I think that's right. Those things are really, really important. It's just more fun. Our decks are pretty colorful design. It infuses a level of energy that most brands don't do for stuff. Energy is the way to put it. There's a lot of slowing things down. When one person has the knowledge or the file, and you have to reach out to them and wait for them to get back to you and pass it on to someone else. We're all playing and working on this thing together that we can all see you're passing the hot potato around. I agree. How have other companies you've worked with operated? Do you know? Pretty similar trend between what we've seen before. Like you said, technology has unlocked that as things get more centralized and we're more focused on this idea of a cloud. It's really just a single server somewhere else or a single computer drive somewhere else. We've gotten a lot less focused on putting stuff even on our own computers. I realized when I upgraded my laptop, I didn't actually have to transfer that many files over. I just had to hook up Google Drive and let it start downloading. Outwardly Facing works the same too, where we have content folders that we give access to all of our retailers that have all of our images and assets and videos. I've definitely been in meetings before with retailers of, well, we'd like to get those assets. And I'm like, oh, you don't have access to Carl's treasure chest? I know the answer before it comes back. We gave you all the information. You just didn't want to go get it. It's a really interesting experience. Everybody just wants everything spoon-fed to them. Externally, it's the same thing. We really try and provide as much access as possible. So is your Google Drive meticulously organized or are you more of a searcher? I'm actually in the process of organizing it now. I am a total searcher. Also an email. I archive everything because... The search feature is so amazing in G Suite. Right. You need something, you type it. I'm totally a searcher. I've realized I've let my G Drive get a little out of hand, so I got to clean that up. How about you? (laughs) The same. I have my local hard drive pretty well organized, but I don't access much through there. I always just go to the drive thing and search because I know what I'm looking for. And it's going to be one of the top results nine times out of 10. I leave it to my memory and the search box. I have a couple of workspaces created that basically is 90% of the stuff I use constantly. I looked for the sausages being made the other day and I'm like, I got to organize this. It's not good. What do you think about the direction to this? What's the future of team collaboration going to look like and how will we continue to evolve it from here? I don't know in full transparency. Technology exists for most anything. I think the exercise for us and probably for most people moving forward 
is the communication and setting expectations and holding people accountable because I don't want to be critiquing people on this, but it's a slippery slope. One is just the constant, how do we set expectations? How do we hold people accountable? And how do we give them the tools to kind of paint by numbers? For us, it's going to be creating more systems and processes to make this easy for people, like we did with the new master deck theme. That's, it was a huge step in a direction to get everybody standardized. I'm sure some amazing technology will come about that I, I can't even think about right now, but constantly simplifying and refining our processes. feels like everything's moving in a more centralized direction. The example just came to mind is the Dick Tracy watch, right? He's talking into it. And that was fucking impossible back then. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, now yeah. it is it's right there on the Apple Watch or whatever. So we were in a flock leader meeting yesterday and one of the team members, Carrie, couldn't be there. And on her slide of her updates, there was a little like YouTube link and I just pressed play and it was just her on her phone. Couldn't be there today. I'm on a shoot. Here's my updates, blah, blah, blah. Right. 40 seconds done. <laughs> More of that is actually going to be of where we're going. We felt connected and it took her legit a minute probably to do. Right. It's like asynchronous in-person communication. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of information you can transmit to another person in just text is abysmal, right? 7% of your meaning and tone and all of that comes through text. And then you get a little more with, say, a phone call. And then probably the most that you can remotely like this, video, audio. Can you talk a little bit about the idea of reading tone in a message on Slack? We always talk about not reading tone, but the reality is text used to be what it is. Now with emojis, it's a lot better, right? And LOLs in Slack at first would really be preaching, don't read tone. And you shouldn't read tone. You just really shouldn't. But also, what do you mean by that? For example, right? So the questions for this episode weren't ready on Monday. If in Slack, I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Where are those questions? You're like, oh, shit. But if we're looking at each other and I'm smiling, I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Where are my questions? <laughs> right. right? You're like, my bad. And so I imagine everybody reads the Slack how I feeling when I write it. And that's bullshit. So don't read that tone. But also you can write in tone. And so there's a responsibility on the reader and the writer of, hey, If this is lighthearted, you can use emojis and you can throw LOLs. If it needs to be serious, you can make it serious. Do everything you can not to read tone. And if you are worried, just call a person. Also, do everything you can to write tone because it's a two-way street. To be as clear as you possibly can on your side of it. Yeah, and you get really good. I mean, what I'm struggling with is I'm a really polite, cordial person. So I ask a lot of questions like, hey, Sean, can you get that to me by Thursday? Hey, Mike, can you blah, blah. Most of the time, I'm actually not asking people. I've really been trying hard to be like, please have this done by Thursday at two uh-huh. <laughs> and not ask because it's not a question. Well, that's another example of clear is kind, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm the CEO of the company. I'm aware that I can just shake my finger and get what I want. But one, that's not a really great way to be a leader. I still do find it awkward to not ask people for things and tell people for things. It's a thing that I'm working through. Has anything become clear to you as you've started to pay attention to this and change the way that you approach asking versus telling? When it's not optional, don't make it optional. And when it is, make it. The more I can do this, the more I can say, please have this, please do this, always use please. The more I do that, then on the other side, because a lot of times I ask questions of, can we have this done by October? And I'm not saying have it on October. I'm actually asking, can we? The more I can use the right word structure, the better it is for everybody. It goes back to the clearest kind. And it makes your questions actually questions. 
do I have a burden of, I need to scramble on this right now? Or is he just requesting information that I can just provide to him? That level of clarity is way better. (laughs) This is kind of silly. I just had my birthday and we were just traveling and I'm thinking about, you know, what do I want to focus on this year? And one of the things that became clear to me was I need to reduce the gap between the time when I know what I want and when I say what I want. And then the second thing is to quit stating my needs as questions. So super lame examples are like when the waitress brings the food and goes, does everything look okay? And I think I would like some sour cream. And I go, yep, looks great. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of just like letting that happen to be like, uh, yeah, looking for the sour cream. That'd be awesome. And then the second one is Jen and I were like driving through, stopping at this travel thing. And I was like, Ooh, do you want to get a huckleberry shake? When what I should have said is I'm gonna get a huckleberry shake. (laughs) Just transitioning more from what about this to this is what I would like. And then, you know, let the other person respond instead of trying to figure out, okay, how can I approach this in the most diplomatic way? (laughs) By saying it directly, that's how. (laughs) By saying it, seriously, most people can handle it. I remember when I was training for my 100 mile ultra, I would start off and I needed people to hold me accountable. Going to run 12 miles at Los Leones on Saturday at seven. Who wants to join? I want to do nine or I'm going to be here at eight. And then I get quickly be like, let let me, let me, let me be clear. I am starting my run at Los Leones at 7 a.m. And I'm doing 12 miles. If you would like to come be there. (laughs) This wasn't a conversation. It was a hundred percent on me. Right. (laughs) As you realize this is on me. (laughs) All right. Ready to head over to the lightning round. Oh, for sure. So when was the last internal email sent at Gooder? I had no clue. But for a while, when we were breaking people the habit, people would, if I got an email, I would reply back to them, is Slack broken? That's all I would say. And so I haven't gotten one in a while. I do forward stuff. If I get stuff that needs to go to somebody else. I haven't emailed anybody in five years. Long time. Wow, damn. So what's your favorite internal Slack thread? Probably our gold star thread. It's basically our gratitude thread where only thing allowed there is giving people gratitude. How about your least favorite? Oh man, when I find myself on giant group DMs, there's seven people on here. Who's talking to who here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about your most used shortcut? Probably control shift K, which just opens up DMs. Magic wand, what would you change about Slack? Man, if you could use spaces, you have to go like launch underscore this. You can't just do a space. And so, oh, right. yeah. I, oh. To get to a thread. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a coder reason. You might even know why, but that burns me. To select the actual thread, there definitely is a coder reason for that. I think mine is the indenting on lists. Like it always sets it to just one level. <laughs> Scale of one to 10, what are the chances we'd ever go back to email? This is as close to zero as possible. I'm a 50 shades of gray where nothing's ever zero or 100. It's either one or 99. So we're at a one. Gotcha. (laughs) So not extremes, but basically the extreme of that. Yeah. (laughs) I allow possibility. Nothing's ever totally certain. What's one thing you would want to answer again or didn't get to bring up today? I don't think we talk about this a lot, but it's pretty fun to use Slack. And it's a really slick operating system from desktop to your phone. The user experience is amazing. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. Centralized team messaging. It's great. And a gooder, we're, we're getting sure like everybody's avatar has to be a photograph of them wearing sunglasses and uh, first names only. And so if your first name's taken, you get a nickname. So I also really enjoy that we do that. Yeah, that's real. That's like a, for a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> s- someone's already named Dan here. You got to come up with a new name. Yeah. <laughs> What's your advice for people who want to follow a similar path? Pull the plug on your email tomorrow. There's always a reason why you can't. But remember the reasons I gave you why you should. 
time-saving transparency bandwidth, everything. With your calculation, six weeks a year per person? Yeah. yeah that seems like a weeks. pretty compelling argument. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good reason. <laughs> so what about next actions? What should people look to do to follow this path? Guy up five. Download Slack. Make a list of all your launches, projects, and teams, and make a thread for each one of those. When someone emails you internally, reply with them, it's Slack broken. And then the last one, when someone DMs you on Slack, asking for something that the whole team should know, reply, please ask this out in the project thread. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And be sure to join us next time. We're going to be covering how we use the Enneagram at Gooder. Until then, be excellent to each other. Thank you so much for listening. Send us your questions, learn more, and find episode resources at gooder.com slash culture. If you enjoyed yourself today, we would be so grateful if you could please leave us your star rating and review. That minute and a half of your time, it really does help people find us. And don't forget to share us on your stories, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your dog, or maybe your dog isn't into this kind of thing, and that's fine too. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at culturegooder and Steven at Steven Lease. That's Steven with a PH because those V people are not trustworthy. Culture Gooder is produced by our in-house Gooder team. The show is co-hosted and written by Sean Tinney and Stephen Lease. Maya Morales does PR and promotion. Shelby Farrell handles all things digital. Emily Barber manages social. Teresa Garcia is our supervising editor. And the editor of this episode can be found on the blog. That sweet tune you're hearing right now was created by Mike Eddy of Cucumber Fuzz, recording by Barrett Bowman. And this voice you're listening to is Carrie Blunt. Many thanks to the entire team at Gooder, really, without whom there obviously would be nothing to podcast about. At Gooder, we exist to give you the permission to be unabashedly yourself, unless you're an asshole. So don't be. Until next time. <laughs>